Exodus 35, verses 20 through 29. I will be reading from the complete Jewish Bible. Then the whole community of the people of Israel withdrew from Moshe's presence, and they came, everyone whose heart stared him, and everyone whose spirit made him willing, and brought Adonai's offering for the work on the tent of meeting, for the service in it and for the holy garments. Both men and women came, as many as had willing hearts. They brought nose rings, earrings, signet rings, belts, all kinds of gold jewelry, everyone bringing an offering of gold to Adonai. Everyone, everyone who had blue, purple, who had blue, purple, or scarlet yarn, fine linen, tan ram skins, or fine leather brought them. Everyone contributing silver or bronze brought his offering for Adonai, and everyone who had acacia wood suitable for any kind of work brought it. All the women who were skilled at spinning got to work and brought what they had spun, the blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, yarn, and the fine linen. Likewise, the women whose heart stirred them to use their skill spun the goat's hair. The leaders brought the onyx stones and the stones to be set for the ritual vest and the breastplate, the spices and the oil for the, lighting, for the light, for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. Thus, every man and woman of people of Israel whose heart impelled him to contribute to any of the work Adonai had ordered through Moshe brought it to Adonai as a voluntary offering. Thank you, Sharon. I want to pause for just a minute and um, ask that we take a moment or so to pray. And uh, ask, simply ask the Lord to speak to us. Lord God, we thank you and praise you for your word that is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We thank you, Lord God, that you speak to us through your word. We praise you, Lord God, that your sheep hear your voice and they know you. Lord, it's a mystery, but we praise you, Lord, that somehow you are able to communicate to each one of us, Lord, that uh, you have wired us and that uh, you have our cell number. And, uh, Lord, we pray that as we look into your word, we simply ask, Lord God, that each one of us would come away with a clear sense of discernment and insight into what you have, into what you're doing in our life, what you have for us, Lord. We ask this in Yeshua's name. Amen. Oh, about a year ago, uh, we, um, as a congregation, put an offer for a building um, that, by the way, you probably, you may know was not accepted and right close to it is this massive edifice uh, great big building um, housing uh, mega church housing several thousands probably and as you drive around in, in this area especially in 
Highlands Ranch, you see other edifices. Um, by the way, you don't see synagogues that are uh, lavishly displayed. Used to be that you did have um, very elaborate synagogues outwardly, but since, I believe, since the Shoah, since the Holocaust, it's fairly typical for synagogues to be very modest on the outside and then opulent on the inside. But uh, in any event, as I drive, you know, I, I, I tend to be somewhat uh, Tevye-ish. Um, if you've seen the uh, musical Fiddler on the Roof, you, you may remember all the scenes where he basically looks up at, at God and says, Lord, so what am I, chopped liver? Um, you know, one of the very classic scenes, he looks at God and says, Lord, would it hurt some vast eternal plan if I had a small fortune? Um, I, I'm really not looking for a fortune, but I, I used to look at these uh, buildings and then say, okay, Lord, uh, what about us? And uh, I don't have that perspective anymore. Not because we as a congregation do not need a building. Yes, we do, and I've talked about that last Shabbat. Um, but I've come to grips to a greater extent with the reality that God absolutely loves overwhelming odds against His people. Because then He is able to uh, roll up His sleeves and get to work in a way that is massive in a way that displays his power and um, Rory our treasurer tells us that at the rate of current growth it will take us uh, probably a couple of millennia <laughs> to be able to uh, purchase a building and yet I, I really sense folks that that God is at work and because of that he is able, and, and that his timetable um, is accelerating. I really, really, really believe that. I'm not the only one who does. And it isn't so much because, you know, you repeat it enough and it will happen. Um, again, God delights in taking situations that seem to be totally overwhelming and work through them. In so doing, to demonstrate his absolute power and his bottomless resources. And this is what we're banking on. That, uh, uh, yes, on one hand, we are, as a congregation, we seek to be prudent. And we have this gentleman that's just walking out here uh, who helps us to stay honest. But on the other hand, we believe that our God is great. Our God is great. Can you say amen to that? We see all kinds of examples in the Word of God and in history of how God provided for His work in the face of impossible odds. And we see that displayed here in the construction of the tabernacle. Um, beginning all the way from chapter 25 earlier here. And, you know, if you have read this section, 
one or two things can happen. You can either get um, glassy-eyed looking at all the details, or you can also take it for granted. Okay, God said it. Uh, people did it. It took place. Let's move on. We really don't understand the immense difficulty that was involved here in the construction project. Let me just lay out a couple of reasons for that. One, think about a slave. A slave, by definition, does not have the capacity to gather wealth. I, I take it that as a, uh, as a given. I mean, people, the nation of Israel had enough to live on and not a whole lot more. And at this point, they were in a desert in a number of very difficult situations where there was barely enough water, barely enough food. And the real issue here, folks, was not so much what they were lacking physically and materially. The real issue here was that God comes to the nation and says, I want to dwell with you. I want to hang out with you. F knowing full well that the people have a very half-hearted interest at best. You know, if you were to read earlier chapters, uh, chapter 15, 16, 17 here, you'll see that anytime something happens, the nation says, God, you had nothing better to do than to bring us into this place to kill us. You know, we were having a fine time in Egypt. Not. And uh, you decided just to bring us out here so that we can die. That's how you feel about us. Then, of course, what happened with the golden calf? Here, you know, just put that in perspective. God comes down on Mount Sinai, gives them the Torah, uh, displays all kinds of power and uh, f sound and light show for the benefit of the people of Israel. And uh, they're excited. And then real quick, they turn on a dime, have Aaron put together some kind of a, uh, uh, a calf that they had probably seen in Egypt. And they worship and bow down to it and said, these are the gods, this inert uh, mass of gold. These are the creatures. That, these are the gods that brought you out of Egypt. Now that really, folks, is the most difficult element in the construction of the tabernacle. It wasn't the fact that they were ex-slaves, they didn't have a whole lot. It was the fact that their hearts were rotten, and God comes and says, I want to be involved in a marriage relationship with you, covenant relationship, knowing full well not only what had happened before, but since he is God and he is omniscient, he knows all the future, knowing full well that these people are going to hurt him over and over and over and over again. So this is where we come away with with a profound and very deep understanding of the fact that the nation of Israel is the people's exhibit A of God's profound love for people. 
People's Exhibit A, if you're not familiar, legal jargon, when the lawyer get, get up and present evidence, Exhibit A is the first thing that they present that is the strongest evidence. Israel is the strongest evidence for God's love for humanity. And, and here, after what happened with the golden calf, God wants the tabernacle to be located in the center of the nation of Israel. The camp was right in the center in all the tents of all the tribes who were around it. That boggles my mind that God would want to, to be so centrally connected to a group of people who are fickle, who are faithless, and yet it speaks of God's chesed, God's covenant, faithful, committed, loyal love, and God's power to redeem. So having said that, you can step back and see that somehow the acquisition of materials was the easy part. And that is always the easy part. We see exactly the opposite. We see the materials as the biggest problem. God sees the acquisition of the heart as the bigger issue. Uh, if you're familiar with the Passover story, you know that as the people of Israel were getting ready to leave, the Egyptians were freaking out there was fear on, on the whole country and people were concerned that everybody will die. And they looked at Israel as a source of the problem. They said, get out. Anything you want, we'll give it to you. Just get out, get out, get out, get out. Um, and it's kind of strange to see in Scripture that God through Moses explicitly instructs Israel to take advantage of the Egyptians. I mean, th this is not standard, folks, okay? This is not normative. In this particular case, God has particular purposes and um, sees that it's payback for 400 years of, sl of slavery. God's usual approach for us having provision is normally through work. You know, you work. Scripture says you work. God, if you recall, God took Adam and he put him in the garden. And first order of business, even before he fashioned Eve, was to give him a job. God sees our work as significant. We'll talk more about that later. But back to the materials, Scripture says, the earth is mine in all its fullness. That's in Psalm 24, 1. In Haggai, the Lord states, the silver and gold is mine, declares Adonai's spell the Lord of hosts. Again, for God, the materials are the easy part. Yeshua told us that. We saw that in Matthew chapter 6. You know, I take care of the squirrels, God says. How much more will I take care of you? Somehow, when you look at, at the narrative in these chapters, you see that everything that needed to come together came together. 
you had the silver and, and, and gold and bronze and fine linen, fabrics and skin and dyes, uh, acacia wood, which was very much a, uh, a durable uh, type of wood in that area, resistant to decay. And the head honchos in, in the nation apparently were somewhat better off and they brought onyx and special gems to be mounted on the ephod and so on and so forth, which was the vest. But somehow God sees to it that all the materials come together. It was intriguing that um, Sharon read from the complete Jewish Bible that uh, people gave the nose rings. Uh, th this may, may just kind of fly at you at, at Mach uh, 2 or 3, but for me, it, it just indicated the very personal touch. You know, the fact that people were willing to give their jewelry. And particularly for the women, this was a huge statement because having... Jewelry of one kind or another, A, made you more attractive, and B, was a form of dowry. And by taking all that and laying it down and saying, I'm going to give it to God for the construction of His house, you are putting a very, very high value on the need to have God's house established. Very strong statement, very strong personal. By the way, the uh, from what we know of history, the nose rings were also worn by men. Be that as it may or may not. Um, bottom line is, at this particular point in history, God sees to it somehow that everything that is needed for this construction project is brought together. You have a very, very detailed set of blueprints. And I believe that the time is coming for us as a congregation to be in a building that is dedicated to the work that God is doing with us. And we're very grateful and we've been blessed with the hospitality and grace of Greenwood Community Church and the folks there, folks here. But I believe God has a bigger plan for us. And part of that is a location where He wants us to be. Part of that is also the details, a detailed pattern of what this needs to look like. And all of that can happen despite immense odds, folks, in an absolutely rotten economy. where folks are struggling, God can somehow see to it that materials and provision comes together. Can you say amen to that? So God takes care of the materials. He also takes care of the hum human um, resources, the skill that is needed to put things together. And by the way, as you read this, you'll see, depending on the Bible that you have, uh, the translation that you have, you see the word skilled 
mentioned again and again and again and again. We'll talk about the meaning in Hebrew in just a moment, but um, where did the skill come from? It wasn't in the short time that they were in a desert. The skilled folks came as they were engaged in doing the work of slaves for Pharaoh. Now think about the implication. You know, we usually, usually or typically look at work. We refer to it often with negative statements such as secular work. Salt mines. Let's see what other great um, loving descriptions do we have for our work. And we typically view it as if it is totally separate, a separate sphere from the rest of our life that we consider to be spiritual. Now think about the implications of that. That implies that for about two-thirds of your week, God has nothing to say. God is totally detached out of that huge chunk of your time and your energy that is given. It's as if he's just decided to take a vacation to the Bahamas while you're doing your work. And yes, I, I think most of us, the work that we do, we say, you know, we're grateful in this economy to have a job, um, to provide food on the table and shelter over our heads. But folks, I want to encourage you to think with a greater degree of significance about the job that you do, folks. First of all, God is the one who put us to work. And He is, I hope, you recognize that He reigns overall. Which means that He is in control and is engaged in our life in our daily activity, which is why, as the Shema tells us, we love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, and strength. Not just on, in a particular section of the week that we call spiritual, whether during the time that we pray or when we come to, to Shabbat services. I hope that part of what happens, or what has happened, is that God gives you a new and a fresh vision for His engagement in your work. Because the great potter who is at work shaping us as His pots doesn't take a break. And sometimes it gets us, gets, a, gets, let me backtrack, sometimes it is difficult for us to get our arms around it. You know, I remember when I worked at National Jewish Hospital um, in an AIDS lab, I worked for a boss who was very temperamental. You know, he came in the morning, you saw him, you really didn't know who you are going to meet, whether you are going to have Dr. Jekyll or Mr. Hyde. I, I think we can all relate to that. And um, you know what it does to you. You know, you have the fight or flight syndrome. 
And uh, I was fussing and kicking within myself and with God and desperately trying to get out of this situation. Tried this, I tried that, none of it worked. At some point, somehow God Almighty manages to get through the steel slash titanium plates here and gives me the understanding, hey, regardless of whether you made the perfect decision or not, regardless of your boss, regardless of any of that, I'm here. Hello? <clears throat> and as Scripture says, <clears throat> be still and know that I'm God. Relinquish control and know that I'm God. <clears throat> and by the way, coming back to... <clears throat> To, to the uh, Genesis story, the Lord took Adam and he put him in the garden to work and take care of it. And the word for put in Hebrew, Yenichel, has the sense of causing him to not just be there, but to rest in that situation. So it's a word that usually means to rest while you're working. That's the apparent contradiction that we see that works in God's economy, that works in how God does business. So coming back to Israel and Pharaoh, you see that the skills that they acquired working for Pharaoh was used by God <coughs> in the construction of the tabernacle. This is what we see, that God takes our experiences, our talents, and heightens it in His service. Whether it's the so-called natural gift or the spiritual gifts, it all comes from Him. And the gifts of the Spirit that are explicitly mentioned, a bunch of them clearly refer to things that God has enabled us to do just in a matter of course and a matter of time, and he heightens it. He heightens it, he heightens it by the power and activity of his spirit. I just want to read to you a couple of statements <clears throat> in, um, here in Exodus 31.1. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, ability, <clears throat> knowledge, in all kinds of crafts. To make artistic designs for work in gold, etc., etc. And in 35, in the same chapter, verse 30, <clears throat> Moses said to the Israelites, See, the Lord has given him, both him and Aholiab, the ability to teach others. And he has filled them with skill. Now, do you see the connection? It speaks about um, <clears throat> Aholiab being filled 
excuse me, Bezalel being filled with the Spirit and him being filled with wisdom. What's the connection? The connection simply is that God pours his power on us through his Spirit so that we are more fully equipped to do the work he has laid out for us. He increases and expands our capacity. And he does that with every single person in the nation of Israel who is engaged. You notice you, you have the everybody from top from from the um, leaders on down engaged in the work of the construction of building God's house. Every single person has a role. You have a role in the construction of God's house as he's building it if you're part of Yeshua Tzion, the construction of God's house here with us. Everybody works. Remember that the, one of the basic words for worship in Hebrew, avodah, means both to worship and to serve and to work. They are totally inseparable. The notion that you can come and worship God and be on great heights of spiritual ecstasy and do absolutely nothing in terms of practical service in the kingdom of God, you don't find that in the scripture. You do not find it in the scripture. They're intricately involved because in everything we do, we serve God. The Spirit of God comes upon people and takes their experience and heightens it. And you notice that the Hebrew word for skill, I won't ask you to repeat it unless you've had Hebrew, is chokhmat lev, chacham, is, is one of the Hebrew words for wisdom that has the sense of being given the smarts from God to do the work he's called you to do effectively. Not just to take the wisdom and run with it and do what you think is best and strategize and sit down you know, with, with your uh, iPad. I, I was about to say with your legal pad. I have to be back in the, tw- in the 21st century here. But God gives us wisdom, even through difficult times. In fact, through the difficult times is when we especially need to seek God for that wisdom. Lord, how do I get through this minefield? It looks like if I take a step here, it's about to blow on my face. So how do I navigate through here? You see that somehow the Spirit of God explicitly and implicitly is very much engaged in this process. Chapter 36, verse 1, B'tzalel, Aholiab, and every skilled person to whom the Lord has given skill and ability to know how to carry out all the work of constructing the sanctuary 
are to do the work just as the Lord has commanded. They need to know. They need to understand. They need to have a heart of wisdom. But they first of all need to have a heart that wants to do the work of God, folks. You know what happens when we get plowed under by circumstances of life? All we can see are the circumstances, right? God is somewhere in the picture and our screen is filled with us, with others, with our circumstances. And our hearts are really not connected with Him. And here you have this rebellious bunch of folks, fickle, faithless, who are somehow moved as, as a group to work. The verse I was looking for is um, here in uh, 35, 26. All the women who were willing and had the skills spun the goat hair. Now you think to yourself, goodness gracious, spinning goat hair, that doesn't seem like a very spiritual uh, endeavor until you realize that the goat hair was part of the outer covering of the tabernacle where God's presence dwelt. Now, it seems like a very minor, very insignificant, very non-spiritual. But folks, everything that we do when we have a heart to do it as unto God is blessed by Him and honors Him and in turn blesses us if we do it out of that kind of a heart. And this is the, what we see here over and over and over and over again. How that here you have a nation of people who are swept up with a desire to build God's tabernacle. Some translations bring this out more clearly. The complete Jewish Bible in particular and here the New American Standard. The NIV just puts it out as vanilla. Um, 35.5, everyone who is willing. 35.20, then the whole Israelite community withdrew from Moses' presence and everyone who was willing. 35.22, all who were willing. 35.26, all the women who were willing. 3529, uh, 20, all the men and women who were willing brought the offering. And then 36.2, Moses summoned everyone skilled, every skilled person to whom the Lord has given the ability and who was willing. Six times in these, in these verses, folks. In the Word of God, anything, anytime you have Things repeated over and over again, they're designed to capture our attention. As in, hello, are you listening? Are you paying attention? Okay, you missed it. You were out there thinking about the Broncos um, or about lunch or dinner. Are you listening? Do you get it? Let me try another angle. 
Six times, folks. And it's willing in a very strong sense of being stirred and being driven, being motivated. The Hebrew word there for willing, nadiv, has the sense of generosity. Yeshua speaks about that. We saw that last Shabbat in Matthew 6 where he says, if your eye is good, then you are lighted. If your eye is evil, then you are in bad shape. And what he meant by that Hebraic expression was, if your eye is good in the sense of being single-minded, not double-minded, that what you do for God isn't out of a perspective that says, oh, you know, I'm really not sure I want to do this. Um, I have things to do, people uh, to see. I have desperately uh, needed uses for my money. Uh, God, you know, I'm just, I'm not sure. I'll go ahead and do it. What the heck? God doesn't want that. And he certainly does not want the attitude where you feel you're being controlled and manipulated. That's an abomination, folks. Absolute disgusting perspective for God to see people giving of themselves their time, their energy, their money, whatever they give, their talents, under duress. That's double-mindedness. God wants single-mindedness. Here, as, as, as a person, as a man, the woman, everybody was motivated to come and do this, to give from what they had. It's all about heart. The kingdom of God runs on heart, folks. So what took place that they bring and they bring and they bring and they bring and they bring to such an extent that Moses has to say to them, enough already. We got too much. We have plenty. Everything is covered. So stop bringing. I know you may have heard preachers saying that they wish for that to happen. Bottom line, folks, simply is that what God has in mind, He is able to provide. And if you understand that, what you give will be an act of worship, as Michael mentioned earlier today. You have two words for giving. One is truma, which means to take and raise something. The other one is tnufa, which means to, to wave The purpose is simply that it has to be an act of the will. It has to be a choice. You have to get up off your tush and go do it. That's one of the main reasons, folks, why we do not pass a plate. It's also not a very Jewish thing, but really the point is we desire that whatever you give each Shabbat, your tithes, if you're a member here, and your offerings that... Uh, as God leads you, whatever you give has to be because you're motivated by God. Your heart moves you to give. And it is an act of the will, an act, a choice, an act of worship for you to come and bring. 
What's the result? The result is when, when all was said and done, the glory of God, which was in Mount Sinai, came and visibly moved to this tent. Folks, that's really what it was. It was a tent. The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. This is in chapter 40, 34. Then also when the dedication of Aaron and his sons for the priesthood, the glory of God, this is in Leviticus 9, 23, the glory of God appeared to all the people and fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering. And the people saw it, they freaked out. They shouted for joy and fell face down. Simply because people got the fact that God wants to be with them and they were motivated to give what they had, their gold, their silver, their yarn, their dye, their skill that had been acquired working for Pharaoh, and they brought it. So you may ask yourself, what do I have that I can give to God? Who am I? What am I? The short version is always that what you have to give God is your heart. Always, 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 always. And if you have major heart issues with God, if you don't trust Him, if you don't feel like He's trustworthy, then that's where it needs to begin, folks. That's the first issue, is giving your heart to God. Secondly, God has blessed you with life experience and skills of one kind or another. Where you've been all these years, where you've worked in one form or another, you have skills. You have skills in, in, in doing physical work, in, in relating to people. If you're in management and being in management, your skills and experience working for Pharaoh are not wasted. God wants to take it and weave it into his tapestry. And he teaches us how to take and invest it in the building of his kingdom. He gives us wisdom. And yes, he gives us material provision of one kind or another. To some of us, he gives more than others. But folks, all of us have things to give to God. Our time, our energy, our resources, our money. All of us. For the construction of His building. First of all, invisibly and spiritually. Just want to close with this observation. I really strongly believe that God has been at work here at Yeshua Tzion. He is doing the work of construction and building with us and in us. Each one of us is gifted, enabled, equipped to serve God in building His house in this community. The question I want to pose to you this morning as we conclude, are you willing to give what He's given you 
Are you willing to give back to him? Do you see what God is doing here? Do you want to join in and participate with what he's doing? And then step back and see what God will do as you open your heart, as you give yourself and what he's given to you, to him. Let's pray. Lord God, we look at this mystery of how you took a bunch of ex-slaves in the desert, a bunch of fickle ex-slaves, often faithless. And Lord, how you worked this amazing miracle of moving upon their hearts and stirring them, Lord God, wanting the encouraging them so that they would want to be engaged in doing the work of building your sanctuary. Thank you, Lord, for all the lessons that you have for each of us here. Thank you, Lord, that you want our heart, our hearts, Lord. Thank you that you have plans and purposes for what has been acquired over the years, Lord, our skill, our knowledge, our gifting. Thank you, Lord, that you have the pattern already laid out. We're often clueless. We thank you, Lord, that you are not and that you have wisdom and discernment. I pray, Lord God, that you would pour out your wisdom upon each one of us that we will discern and understand Lord, what you're doing in our life individually, what you're doing in our life corporately, what role and place you have for each of us as we serve you, Lord, as we build your kingdom. Speak to each one of us, Lord God, we pray.